before we jump into our sermon this morning, I just want to give you a couple of quick updates. Number one, uh, make sure you mark your calendar for, uh, for December the 9th, which is our Christmas program. Um, if you've never been to a Christmas program here at Grace Chapel, you've really uh, been missing out. And it's a great opportunity to invite people from your, from your uh, neighborhood or from work or from school. It's just a really great time of lifting up Christ. And, you know, during the Christmas season, it's a great time to invite folks because they're, they're in that mode anyway. And inviting them to a uh, Christmas service, uh, especially all music and that kind of thing, People usually enjoy that during this season. So December the 9th, make sure you invite folks and uh, you mark your calendar. Also, if you would like to help out with decorating, we're going to be doing that tomorrow night. Um, so if you'd like to be here six between 6 and 8, anytime, come on in. You can help us decorate. They have a plan all laid out, and you can just help put that plan together. All right. One last thing. Uh, I mentioned last week that uh, someone gave was offering a $25,000 match for the end of the year. We're about uh, $15,000 into the 25 matching. So if you'd like to be a part of that at the end of the year, just uh, make sure you put that on your, your tithe, um, your offering. Our boxes are here and there. We don't pass around the offering plate. But that would be exciting to be able to match that and to go into 2013 in the best shape of our church's life. You know, things have been going really, really well here at Grace Chapel. Um, God has truly blessed us in so many ways in 2012. I got to be, I just, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I want to say it out loud in front of everyone. But we have the most amazing staff uh, that you could possibly imagine. I mean, every single one of us get along really well. As a senior pastor, you have no idea what a joy it is to come to work every day and work with the people that I get to work with. They're amazing. They're incredible. And you need to get to know them. If you don't know them well enough, you need to get to know them even better in the next few months because they, they, are, they are the kind of people who work hard. They invest in the lives of others, um, love their families, love the church family, and, uh, and it's just such a joy to, to work with them. Um, all right, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation just in the beginning here, Proverbs 13:12. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when dreams come true, there is life and joy. Life and joy. Hope. Hope. That's all a person really needs to keep going. You know, all the struggles we face in our lives, hope is all that a person needs to keep going. The hope to dream of, of a future, to glimpse the future and all the possibilities. When people have that hope, they can move forward in their lives. When we can help others, dreams come true. Even simple dreams. Simple dreams. Like in, in developing countries, having enough to eat, being able to go to school, being able to wear the proper clothes. Even here in our own country, the, the dream of having a family or a home. You say a family or a home? Everybody has that. No, they don't. I remember even growing up when I became a Christian, I was 17 years old, I gave my life to Christ, and one of the things I hoped for, one of the things I longed for and looked forward to, believe it or not, when I was 17 years old, was be able to stand, maybe not up here, I didn't know where I was going to be standing, but to, to look at my future and say, you know, I didn't have like the grandparents all lined up, and then your parents, and then you have you and your siblings, and then, you know, I didn't have that growing up, I didn't have that legacy, 
And my thought and Deb's thought when we got married was, isn't it going to be great to create that, to be able to be the patriarch and the matriarch of the family, to have your kids, to have your grandkids. Now I have five grandkids, two and under, which is really, really exciting. Um, And to have that and then one day to have great grandkids and to be in a position where you can create something that you didn't have. I had a great mom. I love my dad, love my brother. We didn't have that whole setup. And that's something that I longed for, I, I hoped for in my future. Hope is such a powerful thing. This morning in our series, Touch One, I want to look at God's desire for every single one of us to bring, to bring that hope, to touch lives, the people around us. You see, most people, all they really need is opportunity. For most people, they just need the opportunity The question I have for all of us this morning is, how can we as the body of Christ help bring that kind of opportunity? How can you individually, how can you, how can, how can I help those around us and bring that opportunity to those people who are in need? You see, in God's economy, everyone, everyone should be able to take care of their own their own felt needs and the needs of their family. That's, that's God's desire. God's desire for equality of opportunity is clearly seen in Leviticus chapter 25 and in Deuteronomy chapter 15. But before I move on to those verses, I want to clarify something. We've talked about this, I think we talked about this uh, maybe almost a year ago, um, but I've brought it up in, in bits and pieces. But I want to clarify what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the needy or the poor. In the Bible, if a person is needy or they're poor and they're offered an opportunity to advance themselves, they receive, they take that opportunity and they move forward. It doesn't mean they, 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 they become rich or whatever else, but they have what they need to sustain themselves. When given the opportunity, they take the opportunity. That's what a poor person does. Because poor people in the Bible are people who are usually in a place where they can't take care of themselves, not because they're lazy, but because of circumstances beyond their control. And the Bible says when people run into those kinds of circumstances beyond their control, it is your responsibility to reach out and help them get to a new place where they can take care of themselves. Nothing wrong with being poor as long as they can take care of themselves. That's what God, that's God's economy. Now, on the other hand, if a person is, you, is perceived as poor, okay, we see someone say, oh, look at that person. And you offer that person the opportunity and they do not receive the opportunity. They don't take the opportunity to, to get themselves in a different position. That is called a sluggard. You give them the opportunity. Proverbs calls that person a sluggard, a lazy person, a little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty comes on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. It's a sluggard. There's a difference between a poor person in the Bible and a sluggard. A sluggard, what you do for them is you give them advice. That's it. Not to be a sluggard anymore, and take the opportunity when given. So I want to lay that as the foundation because I don't want to get people lost. I don't want to give these people, oh, laying around and everything. I, I agree with you 100%. If you've got a sluggard, give them advice. Don't give them anything else. But in God's economy, everyone should be able to take care of their own needs and the needs of their family. In Leviticus chapter 25, it talks about the Jubilee text, 
which says that the land should go back to its original owner every 50 years. And then in Deuteronomy 15, it talks about how there should be relief of debt every seven years. You should forgive debt every seven years. Now, some of you who are in business are about ready to like get a tick. You know what I'm saying? Thinking about that. But remember the context here. Remember what we're talking about. God's desire, his heart, to make sure that people who maybe went through some hard times and lost their land because of famine would be given the opportunity again to fend for themselves, to be able to lift themselves up, given the opportunity, a hand, not a handout, but a hand up. That's what he was talking about. So in no way am I saying that we should be implementing these texts today. They wouldn't work in our culture. As a matter of fact, they didn't work in that culture. They were never implemented. What does that tell you about human nature? Okay? These were never even implemented. But it doesn't change the fact of God's desire to make sure that people, whether it's in our church, whether it's in our community, whether it's in our nation or around the world, have the opportunity to meet their own felt needs. So if this is God's desire, if this is God's heart, what I just described to you, and we want to be like him, what, what, what can or should we do as the body of Christ to help bring this about, to, to respond to this? Well, back in 2005, I, I preached a sermon, and in the sermon I said a few things. And this was, we were talking about people within the, the, uh, the global community, if you will, people who are in developing nations, and what their specific needs were. In 2005, I preached a sermon and said, okay, if we're going to do this, because in 2000, from 2002 to 2005, we were laying this all out. In 2005, I stood up here and I said, if we're going to help people across the world, here's what they need. Here are their needs. Number one, the poor need access to land. They need to develop small agricultural businesses. They need access to education. They need access to clean water through deep water wells through like the, the, the ones that we are doing in Nigeria. They need help with agricultural research. They need help with the development of other businesses that support sustainability. All of these, all of what I just described to you, create opportunity. What we were doing is we wanted to create an opportunity. Let me share with you what we've done so far. And this is a very, very short list. This is the short list. We've drilled over 120 boreholes servicing over 100,000 people with clean water, over 100,000 people. We've started dry season farming. We've built a chicken farm. We've also built a chicken co-op, which means we started our own chicken farm, and then we said to those around us, hey, we don't need a bigger chicken farm. We'll help you start a chicken farm, and we will have a chicken co-op, and we'll all work together to give you a hand up, to give you the opportunity. So we'll train you, we'll give you the resources, and you run your own chicken farm. We'll have a chicken co-op. We've built a learning center. We built a training center. We built uh, partnerships with agricultural experts and innovators, as well as building an aquaponic system in a place where there's no electricity and no running water. I mean, some of the things we've been able to accomplish have been absolutely amazing. We've developed a sustainable business like a bridal shop, and we've we've given um, we've helped young entrepreneurs start a, a host of different businesses, small businesses on their own. Um, we, we've, uh, we've built a missions compound with over 20 staff in Nigeria. And we've helped orphanages in Nigeria become more self-sustaining. One of the things that Jason and Emily have done 
is they went there and they've been working with these different orphanages. And one of the orphanages, they helped fund that orphanage to start a, a, ch- a chicken farm. Um, they have some cattle. Then they have a fish farm. And see, what you do there is you create nutrition for the kids because you think of protein, the fish, the beef, the chicken, all of those to feed those children, good, proper protein, but also then they can sell some of the chickens and the, and the cows and the, and the goats and everything else they have, and they can buy their own medicine. It helps them become more self-sustaining. All of this giving people an opportunity. This is all about giving people that opportunity. Now, some of you may be thinking... There you, you mentioned a lot of things there that have nothing really to do with church from my perspective, my background. Why would we engage in things like this? Well, the answer is because it fulfills the, 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 the stated vision of our church. The vision of our church is to be a global community, which means not just the people within the four walls of this church, a global community. First, we take care of people within the body. Then we reach out to our community. We have the, we have the only food pantry in Mason, and we service people all over the area when it comes to giving food to other food pantries. So we're taking care of our community. We take care of people within our country, and we take care of people around the world, a global community. People, the kids in orphanages in Mexico and Nigeria and India and different places around the world are a part of our global community. And it's our responsibility to take care of those people. We are a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion and unleashing purpose. What I just described to you, helping training young entrepreneurs to start their own business. We are awakening their imagination, igniting their passion and unleashing their purpose, whether it's through education, whether it's through training on uh, young entrepreneurs, whatever it is, that is the stated vision of our church. And we are fulfilling that vision locally as well as globally. And I find that to be, that, that's what we should be doing. See, to reach our world, the body of Christ needs to function as a body, united as one. We've talked about this and we're going to keep talking about it. Every single person here from the youngest to the oldest needs to use their time, their talents, their treasures, their gifts, their talents, their abilities. We all need to come together, united as one, using all the gifts, talents and abilities and treasures that we have in order to to bring that to bear on the needs that are all around us. That is what God has called us to do. That is what God has called us to be. And that's what's been happening over the past 12 years here at Grace Chapel. See, we need to display a love for each other and for those around us that is so dynamic, that is so sacrificial, that is so selfless, that the world recognizes it and they are drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the goal, that they would see what we're doing. You would leave here and say, yeah, I didn't know we did all those things. And he, now he said that was just the tip of the iceberg, and it is. For all the things that we've done over the past 12 years, it would take me entire, it would take me two days to talk about it. But you leave here and you say, did you know at our church we're drilling 120 boreholes and we've done this and we've sicken co-ops and aquaponic systems and we've done all these. And what people on the outside say, that's so interesting. Tell me more about that. Your church is doing that? How did you do an aquaponic system and where there was no electricity and no running water? How did you do those things? It draws people. It, 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 it opens up their minds. They're saying that's what the church should be doing. And they're drawn into a conversation. They're drawn into a relationship with Christ. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? That we should be a letter. 
Each one of us is a letter written by God to all those around us. We were traveling down to Georgia. We left on, uh, on Thanksgiving Day and we went down and you know that uh, Dee, one of our dear members, passed away a couple of weeks ago. And we went down and she was, uh, you know, she was uh, from Georgia. So we spent the time there with, at the funeral. And on the way down, on the way down, first off, I was, I was flying next to someone. Actually, she was to my left hand side. And it made me really nervous because she was high on something. Um, it wasn't just, it was, she wasn't just drunk. She, she would take the pretzel, she grabbed the pretzel, and she'd lift to her face and she'd fall asleep right about here. And then she'd wake, she'd wake up for a second, she'd make it all the way to her mouth, and she'd start chewing and fall asleep chewing. And then when they gave her a cup, that really made me nervous because she would fall asleep in the cup and we'd have to, in a whole entire flight, Deb and I are sitting there kind of making sure she didn't fall out of her seat or making sure that she didn't, you know, she had a tough time buckling her seatbelt. And at the end, the flight attendant said, we're so glad you were sitting next to her because you seem to have things under control. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, because I don't want her falling out on the aisle, the poor woman. So we took care of her. So we got off the plane and, uh, and then we got in the line for the rental car. On the line for the rental car, we're talking to the woman and she was asking us who we were, where we were from, and, and we explained to her what we were doing there. We were going to you know, have a funeral for, for our dear friend Dee and, and, she, and she found out I was a pastor. And, and, and about two minutes later, there's a woman to our right and she was sitting there in a chair and all of a sudden she starts wailing. I mean, I mean like Middle East, I just lost someone in my family kind of wailing, screaming at the top of her lungs. And I'm sitting there, we're kind of looking over and there's people behind her and people online, like three different lines, people that the workers all there, everybody's kind of looking over, not knowing what to do. And the woman says to me, she said, why don't you go over and pray for her? And I'm thinking, I'm online here at the rental car store and everything. So we kind of went through and then finally the woman started screaming and she screamed, oh God, oh God, why don't they have my car or something like this? <laughs> Now, you had to have been there. It was unbelievable. So I finally said, well, she's crying out for God. I'm a pastor. I need to do something now. So I walked over, and, I, and her brother was standing there. He was mortified by the whole experience. He wanted to go hide somewhere. And I walked over, and I, I put my hand on her shoulder. I said, can I pray for you? And all the people behind me are standing there, all the, all the workers in front. Everyone's trying to pretend they're doing their thing, and they're kind of watching what's happening. And she said, yes, yes, yes. So I laid my hands on her, and I prayed for her. And I prayed for, for her to be calm. I prayed for her to stop. Wait, I didn't say that. But, you know, <laughs> making her, stressing everybody out. No, but I just prayed for her that God, you know, God is in control, and that God will help you through this difficulty because they didn't have the right car. And I, you know, give her peace, Holy Spirit. Be, and I prayed for it. And she was so, after that, she was really calm. And Deb's, Deb was watching a little bit. People people behind, would, they, they kind of start, you know, bowing their heads. They didn't know what was going on. They started bowing their heads to people on the counter, you know, and it was amazing because here's the thing. You were able to be in that situation, a letter. I'm a pastor. She starts screaming for God. I'm going to be a letter. I walk over. Her brother shook my hand. So he was like, thank you so much. And the people behind the counter were like, they were like praising God. You know, it's like, thank you, thank you. The pastor showed up. So the next day, well, Thursday, when we, we came home Friday night. We went to the same counter. The woman, not the, the wailing woman, the woman who was working behind the counter was still there. And I asked her, I said, how did it go? She said, after you prayed for her, it was completely calm. She started listening. We could explain to her what we could do. She said it was great. It was really great. What an opportunity. 
What an opportunity to be a letter from God in a situation online at the, at the rental car store. It doesn't matter if you're at the rental car place or you're at school or you're at work, whatever. You need to, we need to be a letter so the world around us around the, will recognize the, the, the love and, and the support that we have for the people who are in our midst and they will be drawn into a relationship with God. That's our responsibility. You know, David Mead said a couple weeks ago, we need to leak Jesus. We need to be a letter, Paul says. And you can leak Jesus and be a letter wherever you are. And that's what we're talking about here. Doing things in such a way the world recognizes what's happening and they're saying, this is something interesting. I can't just, I can't just ignore this. God is doing something amazing. In John chapter 17, verses 20 and 23, Jesus prays this prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Listen to his words here. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in, may they, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How we live and how we love has an impact on those watching. It really does. The people at that counter, the people behind, that impacted them. They're telling this story. The workers there saw the power of God through a prayer, changing their day on Thanksgiving Day. They didn't want to hear someone like this, and it changed their day, and they were talking about that. But what does it say to a world, to our world that is watching when the church, not Grace Chapel, the church in general, when the church is not taking care of the needy in their own community. What does it say to a watching world when the church will not take care of those in developing countries, when people in developing countries are, 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 are dying of starvation, are dying of e- easily treatable diseases, don't have the proper, the proper clothing, don't have the proper education, don't have, the, the, don't have clean water. What does it say to the world And when we basically make the excuses that, oh, some other organization or some, 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 you know, some government agency is responsible to take care of those problems? No, no, no. Oh, no. The Bible says we're responsible and we are a global community. We are responsible for taking care of those in need all around us. And as our world has gotten smaller... Our responsibility has gotten larger to meet those needs. You see, I truly believe that people are looking for a reason to believe. Let's give them one. Let's give them a reason to believe. Let's be a vibrant, active New Testament church. Living out, living out kingdom values. Do you understand there are two major themes in the Bible? One is coming of the Messiah. There's a lot of themes, but these are major. The coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's one theme, Genesis to Revelation. The, one, the second dom, most dominant theme in Scripture is taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. Taking care of those who cannot defend themselves. Orphans, widows, people who are in need. That is a dominant theme in Scripture. It is at the very heart of God. It is at the heart of Jesus Christ when he walked this earth. 
And God wants us to live that out. He wants us to live out our kingdom values. And I'll give you an example of one of the ways he wants us to live it out. One of the examples I can give you is that the New Testament, the early New Testament church gave of themselves, gave of their resources. They gave of their resources. They shared their resources. It was amazing. And if we want to walk with Jesus Christ, if we truly want to walk with God, we need to be willing to go where he tells us to go and do what he tells us to do as his followers. If you're saying you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to go where he tells you to go and do what he tells you to do. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him, Jesus, they must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Think about the life of Jesus Christ, how he lived his life. Whoever claims to be a follower of his needs to walk the way he walked. And then in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, we read this. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. Come and follow me. You want to be perfect? You want, it, you want that, the salvation that it offer? Go, sell your possessions. Now, I've said this a thousand times. I'm not encouraging anyone here, if you, have, if you are a millionaire, or if you have lots of money, or whatever the case may be, to go out and sell all your possessions, just give it all away. Well, that doesn't make any sense, and the Bible doesn't tell you to do that. It's a heart issue. Jesus is looking at a heart issue. It's the desire. See, my friend's economic sharing was at the very heart of the early church. Whenever someone was in need, they shared, and that love, that love for the needy reflected the very heart of God, and people, people in the community were drawn to him. People in the community were drawn. They responded to God. They responded to his word. They responded to his call. In Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47, we read this. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and rejoicing. And listen, and, and, and the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. You say to yourself, you know, I'm not really into helping the poor and the needy. That's not really my thing. And so I'm sitting here this morning thinking, you know, I just got to get through this service. This is not really my heartbeat. I don't really need the needy, whatever else. Let me explain something to you. When you meet a person's felt needs, you earn the right to be heard. And when you earn the right to be heard, you can then speak the truth into their lives and you can meet their spiritual needs. Once a person's spiritual needs are met, they give their lives to Jesus Christ and you have salvation. Those who are being saved. Daily, those who are being saved. When a person comes to Christ and they come to Christ and they're saved, then they need to be discipled. So if your heartbeat is discipleship, my friends, who are you going to disciple if no one's being saved? Just going to disciple each other back and forth in the next 50 years? No, you don't. It's like people, oh, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't get into this. I'm, not a, I'm into discipleship. Well, discipleship comes when people come to know Christ. People come to know Christ when you meet their felt needs. And they say, thank you for meeting my felt needs. Why would you do this? Ta-da-da, opportunity to share and meet their spiritual needs. They come to Christ. Then all you disciples get to work. I disciple people every week. People I've led to the Lord. 
Some people haven't led to the Lord, but they need to grow in their relationship with Christ. It all fits together. You see, but they went beyond the modern idea of tithing. They went the extra mile. They had a radical, life-altering passion for God that overflowed and changed people's lives. They couldn't, dis- they couldn't ignore what they were seeing. In Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he had owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I know what some of you are thinking after all this. Why bother? Because you can't help everyone. So you get all excited for no reason. Kids, you can't help everybody. The poor will always be with us, right? And Jesus said it, so that's the truth. You're right, the poor will always be with us. That's very true. That's what Jesus said. That's absolutely true. But if you're going to use the excuse, the poor will always be with us, you can't help everybody, let me, let me encourage you, because you're, if you're going to use those scriptures, to read on in your Bible. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, God said that his people, if his people would be obedient and follow his commands, that he would wipe out poverty among all of God's chosen people. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, 4 and 5, it says, however, there should be no poor among you, for the, la- the land in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I have given you today. You say, okay, I heard that. It says that. But that couldn't possibly happen, right? I mean, that's just one of those things that you hear, like, you know, every 50 years kind of thing. That couldn't really happen, right? Well, let's just fast forward to Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. It says this in Acts, New Testament. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. They wiped out poverty in the pocket of poverty in their their particular area. They didn't wipe out poverty all over the world. They didn't end world hunger. But what they did do is they wiped out a pocket of poverty. Within their sphere of influence, there were no needy persons among them. That body, that, 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 that corporate group of believers didn't have anybody who's starving to death. They had adequacy. They had everything they needed to survive. Why? Because they sacrificed. See, with a heart of giving and a plan of action, we can change the world. I didn't say we're going to wipe out hunger in every part of the world. Other churches other can be involved and make a difference in their sphere of influence. But with a plan of action and a heart of giving, we can change the world around us. You doubt that? Oh, ye of little faith. I love this verse. Didn't Jesus tell us in John chapter 14, verse 12, didn't he say this? Listen to this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. This is my favorite part. But he will will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So Jesus is saying, wait, I'm going to tell you something. You follow me and you'll be doing things that I have been doing when I was walking the earth. Now, just for a second, think of all the things that Jesus was doing when he was here. You know, and I'm mudding people's eyes and people could see, raising people from the dead, all this kind of stuff. And he says, wait, 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 wait. You will do even greater things than these. I love that. It's, to me, it's like a challenge. It's like, you know, how can we live, how can we live this passage out? 
Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 that, that our unity and love would be so amazing that it would cause the world to believe that, that he came from the Father, that, that, whole, that whole prayer was answered through, through, their, through their love and obedience. It was answered. They, they lived out their faith in such a way that they received the blessing, they received the reward. That was Jesus' prayer. And the people that we're talking about here, this early church, they lived it out and they received the blessing, they received the reward. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just me. I don't think so. But I just don't want to read the account. I want to live the experience. I don't know. Is it me? I, and I love, reading my, I love reading the Word of God, but I just don't want to read the account of them wiping out pockets of poverty here and there. There were no poor among them. I want to live out the experience. It's hard for me to read the Bible and see other people experiencing God's best, experiencing God's blessing, and not want to have God's best and God's blessing in my life, in the lives of my people in my family, not to have that experience myself and for my family, and for my church family. I want to read the Word of God and say, wow, that was so awesome, that was so amazing. I can't believe they pulled that off. I can't believe God used them in such a way. I don't want to just read the account. I want to live the experience. I want to, I want to be laying on my deathbed when I'm an old man and thinking, God, thank you so much for allowing me to do some of the things that I even read about. I want that experience for myself. I want that experience for my family. And I want that experience for every single person here today. I mean, look at how they lived. Look at how they lived. Look at their faith. Look at, look at, look at the freedom that they had. They were not under law. They were under grace. They were under no obligation to give anything to anyone. They weren't under law. They were under grace. But their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ was so strong that they gave freely. They gave it themselves freely. There was an openness. There wasn't a, you don't have to pull and push. Their giving, their obedience, their experience with God was so incredible. And they received their reward. They received God's promises. They experienced the kind of fellowship, the kind of passion, the kind of freedom that most people in church only dream about. But they got to experience it. They got to live it out. Their stuff did not own them because they did not claim to own their stuff. And that's what holds so, much of, so many of us back. Our stuff begins to own us. They didn't have that experience. They, their stuff didn't own them because they didn't claim to own all their stuff. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. My friends, there's a difference between stewardship and ownership. Very quickly. If you think you own all of your stuff, you're, 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 in the, you're not living out a biblical worldview. Everything you have, the, the jacket on my back, God owns it. I steward all these things for God. If someone else, when I walk outside, it's freezing cold out there, I'll take my jacket off, I'll give it to them. Why? Because I don't own it. God owns it. I'm a steward of what God has given me. He will provide another jacket for me if I need one. I am a steward of what God has given me. I am not an owner of what God has given to me. And that was their attitude. It became a part of who they were, not just what they did. 
They saw the overwhelming needs all around them and they would not shrink back from the challenge. Like Andrew, this is, think, just walk with me through this for a second. Like Andrew, they believed that Jesus was not going to tell them to do something that he wasn't going to give them the ability to actually do. Right? Andrew, 1,000, 5,000, is more than 5,000 people, and they're standing there, and Jesus says, he, I want you to go feed these 5,000. And then in, in John chapter 6 and verse 9, we read this. Here is a boy. Andrew brings this boy. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Andrew had faith that Jesus wasn't going to ask him to do something they wouldn't give him the power to do. So by faith, he brings the little boy over. And he learned something very important. He learned that the smallest, you, you notice they use the word small here? He, used this, he learned that the smallest gift, the smallest sacrifice, can bring about tremendous results, can make a huge difference. And that's the lesson every single one of us needs to learn during this series. The smallest gift can make a huge difference in someone's life. We need to have faith that if God calls us to do it. He will give us the resources. He will give us the plan. He will lay out the details. He will give us everything we need to accomplish it. He will make it possible. He will make it possible. But we need to have faith that our small acts of love and kindness can change the world, that they can impact the world. They can make such a difference. Three weeks ago, I asked you, I said to you, if if you guys would volunteer at New to You, we get 25 hours of volunteers per week. We could save this much money and that much would go toward helping more orphans and more widows. We have, the response was people, there's over 40 hours a week of people volunteering at New to You now. 40 hours a week. You rose up. You responded. Last week, we talked about how we can make a difference in the lives of children in foster care. We said, you know, we, we, can, we can do this. We can make a difference. We can impact the lives of children in foster care. I said, I said here, here's, here's the bottom line. Remember, I mentioned this multiple times. I said, God gives the orders, right? I said, the battle's already won. When God gives the orders, he's already won the battle. All we have to do is be obedient. And I said to you, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers to all the questions. God's in the details. But what you don't know is second service, after second service last week, as I was standing there, a gentleman walked up to me and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I, my name is David Young, and I'm the, I'm the county commissioner. I'm the Warren County commissioner. I'm in charge of all of foster care, all children's services for Warren County. Just started coming to church. So we lay there. When, when's the last time anybody heard me talk about foster care at Grace Chapel? Okay. Now, you may think that's luck. Have at it. Enjoy. Okay? That isn't luck. That's not luck when, when, the, when the, the county commissioner decides, you know, I'm going to make Grace Chapel my home a couple of weeks ago. We bring this up. He comes and says, I'm the Warren County Commissioner. I'm in charge of all children's services. I want to help you. Met him for lunch. He's going to set up a meeting this January with all the key people within that department to help us move forward with this whole project. If you don't think God, amen, you can clap all you want to, amen. God is in control. He gives the orders. The battle's already won. I said last week, do I, you, you, a lot of you are thinking, you're detail people. Well, what are the details? I don't have the details. 
God is in the details. God has a plan. All we need to do is take our time, not get ahead of him, and be obedient. And God will work out all these details. We will change. We will change our world. We just need to be obedient. Fifty of you signed up last week to drive this vision forward. Fifty of you. And I talked to more people this week as well. But 50 people said, yeah, we're going to make this happen. We're going to impact the lives of children in our own community. Let me share with you just a couple of things that happened this week. People in tears, either, either face-to-face or, uh, or, or emailing me and telling me, God moved in my life this past Sunday like he's never moved before. And this is some of the things that people said. People have offered in their own businesses from our church jobs. They, two different companies said, if you do this, if our church chooses to do this, we will set aside positions and we will hire these students that we work with. We will give them jobs. Someone else said, what we need to do is we need to make sure that we set aside a fund and we start saving for their education, for their college education. I will help if you want to do this. I will help start that particular fund. Fund. Someone else said, how about a couple of us get together and buy the house, one of the houses behind here in this neighborhood and we'll, we'll invest in that house and we'll set that house up. And if you want to go that direction, we can take some of those 18 year olds and put them in the house and house parents. And people were talking that way. People were saying, I can do counseling. I can do mentoring. I can do discipleship. Other people were talking about how they could how they could they could go into politics. And I said, don't do it. No, I said uh, they said we can go in because the laws in Ohio for some of these kids for foster kids is so and, and adoption is so difficult. I want to go into politics. And the person I was talking to can certainly do it. I want to go into politics to change some of the systems to change some of the laws. I'm telling you, you people are radical and I love it. I love it. I love it. Because I'm not going to be the one leading this charge. I'm going to help, but you are going to be the one leading this charge. I will set things up as God gives me opportunity. I will pass it on to you. But you, the body of Christ, this was your vision, and I will help you fulfill this vision. And you will go before, you will go before me, and you will make this happen because you are radical. You are fanatics, and I love every minute of it. I love it. It's my, you're speaking my love language. All you radicals are speaking my love language. Here's the deal. Don't you even think that we cannot fulfill everything that God has called us to do in this church. Don't even think it. Impossibilities are just opportunities for our capacities to be stretched. Don't even think it. We will, we will change our schools. We will change our community. We will change our workplaces. We will change our our broken systems. We will change the world. Let me tell you something. It's just a fact waiting to happen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for using us. We thank you, Lord God, for, for allowing us to have the boldness to reach out and to claim what you have given to us to give us that opportunity to reach out and touch the lives of others. God, thank you for the miracles that we've already seen in this process. And God, we pray that we would be open, our hearts would be open so that you can pour into us all that you have for us. God, we don't want to get ahead of you, but we also don't want to lag behind. We want to walk in step with you. We want to walk as you have walked, following your lead. And God, I pray 
God, I pray that you would use us in such a way that the world would see and be drawn into a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.